0: All right, well, good morning, church. We are entering into a very, very exciting time of the year. Obviously, it's that Christmas season, and it would even snow today as we begin, you know, that particular uh, series. And so we're going to be launching into a series of lessons that begin to focus us more intently upon the Savior who was brought down to this earth. And that a father who's way up here, as Eric was saying, would look at all of us and love us in such a way that he would allow his son to come way down here. And the theme that I'm going to be wrapping our minds around for the next th- several weeks is this idea of rescue. What is a rescue? What does that mean exactly? Especially on a spiritual sense. What are we talking about? And so, to kick us off, more or less, um Trish Trisha Collins gave me a call, I don't know, several months ago actually. And uh, we discussed the idea of her coming and speaking over at Echo Church. I was very excited. And, and here's what I'm really excited about. I knew that Trisha had a story. And I have been hearing little bits and pieces about it from different people. But I always feel like people are about to tell me, you know, part of the movie that I don't want to hear yet. Right? And so I'm like, all right, I don't want to know what happens. Right? <laughs> I know that she turns into this wonderful human being, right? And, and, and so she'll be here today. And so there's a good ending involved. Right. But I don't necessarily want to know the entire story until today. So this is a very, very special day for me. I want to bring you back to a a verse that I'm sure she's probably going to bring up herself. And that's in James. It's the first chapter. James one, verse twenty seven says these words. This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and father. To visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. It's interesting to me that as we're talking about this idea of orphans and as we're talking about children and as we're talking about people specifically kids who live kind of more or less you know on the margins uh, God expresses such a deep desire to show a love that is so strong that he would call it pure and undefiled religion. And so I want to encourage you to listen to her message today and to keep this, this thought in mind. What has God done for all of these people who live out on the margins, but also what has he done specifically for you? And as we focus on Jesus Christ, what is the message that we are going to be bringing to the, to the rest of this world? I can't think of a better way to kick off our Christmas season than to have Tricia come up and share her story uh, and also to talk a little bit about Child Bridge as well. And so what I'd love for you to do is while she makes her way up here and gets all set up, I'd love for you to you know, give her a warm welcome as she uh, comes to the stage. And, uh, Trisha, if you'll come on up here. All right. And before I pass the mic to her, what I'd love for you to do is to, uh, is to pray with me. Let's have a, a short prayer over her. Our gracious God, Father, we thank you so much for this woman. We thank you for who she is. We thank you for the way that you created her, the place that you have put her at this time. And Lord, just use her in powerful ways. Lord, we thank you for this organization of Child Bridge and the ways in which it sort of spans the bridge between church and state so that God's people can have play an active role in bringing families to these kids without any. We thank you so much for the message that she's about to share with us. And we ask that you stir your spirit within her and that you give her the words that you would have her speak. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
1: Thank you, friend. Hello, church. You ought to thank God that you are planted in such a godly church under such godly leadership. Caring for the vulnerable and the marginalized is in your DNA, even far back before you began. I've met many of you this morning, and I'm so grateful for that. It is God himself. He says he is a father to the fatherless. And so he's doing that work through you. But as JD said, today I want to talk to you about a rescue. But let me be fair, it's really about a rescuer. And really it's a story about Hope. Now Hope, she was a kitten that my husband and I had. When we were first married over 20 years ago, And my groom and I, we just really wanted a cat. We wanted a pet. And so we looked up in the newspaper an ad. So for you young people, that's what we did before Craigslist and Facebook and all that fun stuff. And we found a cat. And we went and we got this cat. And her name was Tessa. And the owner of the cat didn't really tell us too much about her. And we were just excited. She was gray. She was cute. And we were just so excited to be parents of a cat. But really quickly, we noticed something unusual. She was getting fat. She was getting fat fast. And we just thought, huh, we must be feeding her really well. We were just proud of ourselves. We must have just been really good parents. We just, you know, maybe she was nutritionally deprived before. But, you know, even one day I, I was joking and I put a sign that said wide load on the back of her. We joked about it a lot. We were having fun with it. <coughs> Some of you know where this is going. We were a little bit naive because really quickly my husband, who had gone to nursing school, said, you know, she might actually be pregnant. Sure enough, a couple days later on Friday night in our living room in a box in the corner, she gave birth to five little kittens. And one of them was really sick right from the get-go. And we were really clear about that. And so we chose to name her Hope. And truly, we were hoping that she would live. It was really obvious that she was sick. She just had this little runny nose and She didn't stand up well like the other ones did. She was just kind of a mess. (laughs) And the other ones didn't even really like her. That was clear. She was kind of pushed to the outside right from the get-go. And then there was this one night we were in our bedroom, and we were laying on our bed. We were watching the evening news back near Seattle where we lived. And all of a sudden, the mama cat, Tessa, did this really unusual thing. If you've ever had a cat, who has kittens, you know (laughs) where that saying mama bear comes from. They guard those kittens. But this cat, all of a sudden, she took that really sick one by the scruff of the neck, came up onto our bed, tossed it onto my husband's chest. And then she went back to care for the other ones. I'm going to pause in the story. I'm going to let you think about that for a second. But I promise I'll come back to the story of Tessa and hope later. But as I said, I want to talk to you about a rescue. A rescue that brought hope by introducing the hopeless one to the rescuer. The Bible says in Proverbs 13:12 that hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. I wonder when you came through the doors today, what was it? What was that deep longing? What was that desire that you had? Maybe it's for a child like me. I long for a son still. Maybe it's for a mate. Maybe you believe that God has told you he'll bring you that mate. And he's promised it to you if you'll do it his way, his time. And it's been a while. Maybe it's been a really long while. Or maybe it's your marriage. Maybe your marriage is completely dead without life. You think it's unresuscitatable. You've actually had moments where you've imagined leaving your spouse. Maybe it's a job. Maybe right now you're going to a job that just feels dead. It just kills your soul. When you get to five o'clock, you just, you don't got nothing left for your family when you get home. And you know that there's a job that's fulfilling. You know there's something that has meaning. You're certain of it. But God hasn't moved you to that next position yet. You're still in that job that just feels deadening. You're going through the motions. Or maybe it's that child that you trained in God's ways when they were young. But they haven't returned to it yet. And you know, you know that you know that you know that his word says that when you're old, when they are old, they'll return to it. And you're like, when is old? <laughs> when is enough? Enough. You're watching them make destructive choices, and you can't understand. I want us to look together at God's word this morning, but I want to make sure you do it with an expectation of receiving hope in that particular area that's been bothering you, that area that feels hopeless. Would you turn with me in the Bible to Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 1? And I cheated. I've already marked my page, so I'm going to go ahead with it. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and he set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, "O oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones I will make breath enter you, and you will come back to life. I will attach tendons to you, and make flesh come upon you, and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you. And you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together bone to bone. I looked, tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath prophesy son of man and say it to it this is what the sovereign lord says come from the four winds o breath and breathe into these slain that they may live so i prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them they came to life and stood up on their feet a vast army then he said to me son of man can these son of man these bones are the whole house of israel they say Our bones are dried up, and our hope is gone. We are cut off. I'm going to repeat that line. Our bones are dried up, and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, This is what the Sovereign Lord says. O my people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live. I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken. I have done it, declares the Lord. Will you bow your heads with me as I pray? Father God, as we open your word today, I thank you that your word gives hope. I just ask you, Lord, that you would bring hope to those dry and those dead places within us, those longings that have not been fulfilled yet. (laughs) I pray that you would bring us to our deeper longing, Lord, and you would resurrect us, that we would allow you (laughs) to give CPR to our, our bones that have osteoporosis, Lord. They're dead. They are dead. They're dead in sin, sin both of our own and of others. So speak to us today as we open your word together. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As I was preparing to speak to you today on this, a particular passage stood out. It's the one that I read twice there. It says in verse 11, then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are completely cut off. So the context of this verse, if you didn't catch it or don't know that passage well, many of you do, but some of you might not, is Ezekiel. He's a prophet, and the prophet spoke to the people on behalf of God, and he's given a vision. He's being taken in his spirit into this valley, and he's seeing this with his mind's eye. And the vision is of the dry and the brittle bones, and it's not just a few. You caught that there were many bones, and he's told to prophesy to them. And that word in the prophes- prophesy in the Hebrew is naba, which it has its focus on encouraging or restoring the people to covenant faithfulness. It can do this by the telling of the future events or warning of future events against disobedience. So it's kind of the matter of the carrot or the stick. Which one works for you? I have two children, and one's a carrot, one's a stick. It depends on what works for you. So Ezekiel was speaking to the nation of Israel, but I wonder, could God be saying the same thing to us today, to you and to me? Farther in the passage, he talks about graves, dead places, so long dead that they're bones, so there's not even flesh on them anymore. The flesh is gone. The muscles are gone. The tendons are gone. Everything's gone. It's dry. It's brittled. It's been exposed to the elements, right? Weather, heat, sun, right? Dehydration. (coughs) And I wonder, as I was reading it and as I was studying it this week, I was thinking, what are the dead places in my life today? What's dead in me? These places that have long since been cut off from hope. You know that one desire that You just can't even think about it anymore because it's so painful. And you just don't even want to go there because it brings you so much pain. And if somebody even gets near it, you win. (laughs) If a friend mentions something about it or depending upon what it is, if you see it in someone else, it's where that jealousy comes up. It's that covetousness. It's that envy. Because you know that you know that you know somewhere deep in your soul that God made you a promise but he hasn't fulfilled it yet. I'll be honest with you. For me, that desire, as I mentioned before, is a longing for a son. And it's gone unfulfilled as yet. And I'm 48. That feels kind of old to have a son. And I've even begun oftentimes to question whether was that you really you, God? I'm not even so sure it was you anymore that put that desire in me. And in the last month, the pastor of my church, not once, but twice in the last four weeks, he has preached on the barren woman. (sighs) And if he brings up Elizabeth in the next couple weeks, I'm not going to be happy. (laughs) He's already gone after Hannah. He's already gone after Sarai. I'm like, please, please, not Elizabeth. No, no, no. But do you know what I'm talking about? That thing that's just that ouch. Man, oh, it just hurts. And all hope is gone, and it feels cut off. And you feel like God is not hearing your prayers. You know, I've prayed about this many times, as if God's deaf, as if you didn't hear me the first time. <laughs> that's hilarious, right? <laughs> when I think about it, as I say it out loud. And I don't just pray. I love that story in the Bible of the woman who banged on the door. I'm that girl. I'm that chick. I just bang. If I want something, I just keep banging, and I plead, and I get on my knees, and I please, God, would you give me that son? Did I mention my husband doesn't want a (laughs) son? Whoopsie, we go back a little bit, and I pray that God would give him that desire. I don't get to cajole him. I don't get to control him. I don't get to plant that desire in him. I pray that God will give him that desire. But it's not easy. I recently brought it up again after... The pastor preached twice on the barren woman. And I said, you know, I still have that desire for a son. And and he said, yeah, I'm not with you on that. (laughs) It's not his time. Maybe it's not right. Maybe it's not good for me. I got to trust that it, it will be his time if it's good for me. But that kind of pain in and of itself is a bit of a trigger for me. It reminds me of the pain that I felt as a child when I was truly powerless over my situation to change it, I want to just go into my testimony here and tell you that I'm a product of two alcoholic parents. And my mom divorced my biological dad right around the age of two. And ages are all fuzzy for me, so I give you approximates. (laughs) Trauma has a way of doing that. It fuzzes the edges. And my mom quickly remarried a man who was very ill, and I don't mean physically. And he took her and her children all the way from New York State to Washington State, isolating her. So no one would notice a change in the children. And she was cut off from all sources of help and protection. Our house was a war zone, and I was a very small prisoner of war. As a child, my name was Patty. (laughs) Picture belies what was going on at home. I look into the eyes sometimes and I'm always like, Wow, how'd you do that? How'd you pull off that pretty smile? I see that as the Lord's protection. He protects them. But what my life was like as a kid was I was beaten daily by my father. He was technically my adoptive stepfather, but he was my father for all intents and purposes. It's all I ever remember. And uh, not just beatings, but, you know, we'd be sitting down to dinner as a family, just like you do at a table. And the next thing you know, the slightest bit of provocation, kids being kids, the table would be overturned. Plates would fly every which way, fall, crash, put holes in the tiles. (laughs) So we always had reminders. My brother would be thrown through a sliding glass door. This was what dinner was like in our household. And while that was happening, I'd always be in the corner praying, please stop. Stop fighting him. Because if you fight him, it only gets harder. And then this man was violent in other ways the kind that deadens your soul. It caused me to lock away my heart in a grave. I was walking dead, I was cut off from hope for decades. My dad, he would come into my bedroom or call me to his and violate the sacred purity of my body. He might as well have been heaping big shovelfuls of dirt onto my head as I laid in a grave because I was alive, but I was wishing I was dead. I would continue to do anything to numb out from that pain, sadly for decades. The violation runs really deep when it comes at the hands of a person that God hand chose to protect you a father. And neglect by my mother to do anything about it, though she saw it. This was my daily life from age two to 10 I'm going to fast forward a bit here in my testimony in the interest of time and JD for you I'm going to tell a part I haven't told in other churches around town just so you know (laughs) to about the age of 13 or 14 when I ran away from home and I walked through the doors of a local church I think that's pretty interesting that that's where I chose to go when I ran away People in the church would try and help me. I would bounce around from home to home for a while, but people really didn't know what to do. They didn't know about foster care, these kinds of things. They wanted to help me, but they knew it probably wasn't right to have somebody else's kid in their home, and so I would just continue to bounce around for quite a while. Eventually, I would land in an apartment of two girls in downtown Seattle that were friends of someone that I knew, and I was so depressed. (laughs) I just slept all day long. I might get up and have a piece of toast, and then I would go lay back down. I did this for probably one or two months. And one day, the girls came home from work, and they told me they were moving to Oregon and that I would need to move out. I would need to find another place to stay. And I'm like 13 or 14. Ah, (laughs) I don't know what to do, and I'm hopeless. I'm really depressed. And so I did the best thing that my unfully developed frontal lobe could come up with. I decided I would kill myself. And so I took a bottle of pills from their medicine cabinet, I took a wine cooler from their fridge, I took a straight razor, which is what we used back in those days, and I shoved them all in my fluorescent pink purse, (laughs) and I headed to downtown Seattle. They lived in Capitol Hill, and I, I just began walking pretty aimlessly. It was typical Seattle weather. It was raining. I remember that part. It was starting to get dark. It was evening. And... I swallowed the bottle of pills. I drank it down with the wine cooler. I got the razor out. I started to cut from forearm to wrist. And then I remembered this boy from that church that I'd gone to made me promise that if I ever got this low, that I would call him, and so I did. I found a payphone and I called him. He was at Northwest University in Kirkland at that time, and I was somewhere in downtown Seattle. He quickly realized something was wrong. I was probably incoherent from the drugs that I'd taken, and he quickly wrote a note to his friends to have the call, you know, the police called. And so word got back to him. This was in the days before cell phones. They couldn't trace the call. They said, unless you know where she is, we can't help you. So he wrote one note, one word, pray to these three young men that were sitting in a dorm room in Kirkland, Washington, and they sat down and they prayed. And the next thing that I know, in this alley, in the dark, in Seattle, in the rain with blood all over the place, I'm talking to him and I'm saying, I have to go because there's some men here and there's bright light on me because they have driven (laughs) after praying from Kirkland to Seattle, Washington. And can I tell you, that would be like me telling you that I planted a ladybug in the middle of the mall. (laughs) Go find it. It's just a needle in a haystack, but they've driven straight to me, and my life was saved. I wish I could tell you I was happy. I wasn't. (laughs) I was really mad at him at that time. I've since thanked him numerous times, but I realize now that God had a plan for me. He had a plan to save me. His parents, Rich and Ruth Hedman, would eventually become my foster parents through another series of events. I have to fast forward in the interest of time, but they were willing to get licenses, foster parents, and take in a very troubled girl. Did I change overnight? (laughs) I wish, darn it, no, not at all. I was a mess, I was a big, hot mess. Those dead parts in my soul continued to cause me to make destructive choices. They were manifestations of that brokenness that I had as a child. I did not accept Christ until two decades after I left their home at age 38. But I can tell you it is because of the faithful prayers of that family that my life was changed, and more important than that, my eternity was changed. Little did they know the seeds they would plant, that my own husband and I We would go on to suffer from infertility, and God would choose to use foster and adoptive care to add to our family. See, He had a plan all along, and His plan wasn't to harm me, it was for good. I can't imagine not having that little girl in my life. She's my miracle, and she is their granddaughter. Her middle name is after my foster mom. They loved me as I was, just as I was, a big hot mess. And they continued to do that for decades. There's a song by J.J. Heller, and it's called What Love Really Means. And if you've never heard it, I recommend looking it up, YouTube it or something. She asks the question, who will love me for me? And she answers it with the voice of Jesus. She says, I love you for you not for what you've done or what you will become. I love you for you. Just like in that song, my foster parents, Rich and Ruth Hedman, they didn't rescue me. They brought me to the feet of the rescuer. It was just like that cat, that mama cat, Tessa. What did she do? She flung the cat up onto the chest of the father, right? Right? help that one. That's exactly what they did for me. They chung, they f- flung me up onto the father's chest in prayer. And here's the miracle <laughs> that I would trust that father enough to care for me, that I would go up onto his chest and receive his love. Do not miss the magnitude of the miracle of that. only God can bring that kind of hope in the places where we feel dead, where we feel cut off by our own sin or by the sin of others, and in my case it was both, and that's usually the case for most of us. So where is your hope? What is that deep longing that you came through the door with today, your deep desire? Is it for that child, that mate, for God to bring back those dead places in your marriage, for that or that one friend that gets you, that loves you for you. I believe that McLaren states, that's misplaced hope. I've learned that if God meets my desire for a son, that's not the miracle. As I heard on a podcast this week, the miracle is the shift in my perspective. That I might seek the rescuer, not the rescue to learn to trust him fully and his timing, that he will withhold no good thing as he teaches me to walk blameless before him. Could it be that behind each of these longings is a deeper desire for the rescuer who brings us hope, not to hope in anything but him, that he alone is our perfect mate, that friend that we desire that father that we have such a deep need for attention from, that is the miracle that I'm praying for each and every one of us, that we would find our hope only in him, the only thing that truly satisfies those dead places in our soul. So back to Ezekiel and the command that God gave him to prophesy to the dry, brittle bones and to speak life into them. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to hold up your hands before you, And if you're willing to, symbolically imagine in your hands that dead area in your life. Whatever it is for you, that place that feels without hope, it's cut off from relationship with God because of pain. Even if you have to do it with one eye closed wincing, I recommend doing it. Because I want us to speak life back into that place. And first, we're going to do something that we really rarely ever do in church. We're going to speak directly to the devil, and we don't do that because we don't give him any power, but we need to do that. The Bible says, get behind me, Satan. I recently heard a preacher from Canada say it like this, liar, liar, pants on fire. I liked that. It was true. But if you hold it up, if you could prophesy to it, your dead places and... <laughs> If you'll humor me, since I'm a guest speaker, if you'd speak after me out loud. Come from the four winds. O breath. And breathe into these slain that they might live. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for humoring me with that. I'm believing for a miracle in your life in this area, but remember that your miracle just might be the shift in perspective, that deeper longing that he desires to fulfill. So let's get to the elephant in the room. Foster care, right? You knew I was going to talk about that. It was going to come up. I'm here before you speaking on behalf of Childbridge, and what we are is the voice of 3,800 children that are currently in the foster care system in Montana. 300 of them are here in Missoula, and they've experienced extreme abuse and neglect, similar to a childhood like mine. They're cut off from hope, and Jesus Christ is their hope. And our job as that vast army of Christ that he has brought back to life is to stand up on our feet and allow him to bring life back into our souls so we can help him bring life back to the dead places in our community, in our children. There is none more weak and vulnerable than an abused child. It's time for us as a community, to take back spiritual territory that has been lost for these children many times for generations. They cannot do it without you. They cannot do it without the rich and Ruth and all the people who came around them. So what am I asking you to do? If you're already doing this good work and we don't know about you, please come see us at the table. If you're doing this work and you do it without support, please come see us at the table. If what I told you about abused and neglected children made you angry, if my story brought up a righteous anger in you, I ask you to come to our information session that we're going to host back in a room there this afternoon at 1 o'clock. Angela Johnson made some amazing food. If I can entice you with that. If nachos, don't do it. (laughs) Um, We won't take your blood. We won't take your firstborn, your fingerprints, nothing. We won't obligate you to anything. We just want you to come here about the need and to see how you can step into that need as a church. If you want to know how to support those in your church who are already doing this work, and thank you, Jesus, you have people in your church already doing this work. Come, see us. Come to our info session. Learn about what it's like to support them and how to do that. And lastly, I'm looking for a person in your church to be a point person, the lay person that I can come alongside and train, but that I can't be out in every single church, and it can't be your pastor. So I need somebody else that God is speaking to your heart right now, saying, yeah, I I can help with some of that administrative stuff. I can be the feet on the ground in this church every week, asking those families how they're doing. Come to our information session at 1 o'clock. I'm going to land this plane with verse 13. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open up your graves and bring you up from them. I believe that he's still saying the same thing to you and to me that he said to Lazarus. Come out. Take off your grave clothes. Come out. Let us go. Our job is to get our spirits into agreement with his resurrection power so he can perform the spiritual CPR on us. He did it in the first place with Adam. He breathed life, and he's wanting to do it to us today. He's wanting to resuscitate us back to that abundant life that he promised us, that covenant faithfulness that he has for us. And then we will know that he, the Lord, has spoken. He is the one who has done it. He is the rescuer, and we have received hope. His name is Jesus. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Tricia. I just want to emphasize once again... um, What she said: You can sign up at the table. One o'clock, we'll be having an information session. You know, and and as she said, there's nothing really expected of that except for the fact that maybe you would listen and and at least learn. We are a church that's on the ground. You want to come to this church? You want to be a part of this family? Roll up your sleeves. We don't work so that God will love us. It's not what we do. But this is a valley of dry bones. And in many ways, we've been sent into these types of places to prophesy, to bring that life back. But guess what? You're not the life giver, just as he says. You're not even the rescuer. Way to blow my whole sermon series. <laughs> but it's true. You are merely a reflection, an echo, a resonation of the true source of love. But he needs us to go, and that's what we do. I loved working for Childbridge, and there's a lot of emotion that's inside of me because I really do miss it. I love being in that environment where you get to see these broken lives of these little kiddos, and then at the same time you get to see people reach in and say, I choose you, and I will help you, and I will bring life to you. Can we be that type of people? I think it's a little disheartening. When I first entered the childbirth scene, there were 3,200 kids that were in need of foster care, or in need of families, and now there are 38. We're obviously not winning. And yet the church is completely equipped to turn that whole thing around. And my question is, is will we? Thank you so much. Love you. Love your heart. And Angela, you as well. And I love this organization. But let me just remind you once again that there is a rescuer. And you know who he is. And we bow before him. And we will bring that message to this city. So if you would, please bow with me. I would love it if you could stand to your feet and we can pray as one body and one family as part of the kingdom of God. So please bow with me. Gracious God. We thank you so much for the fact that you reached in to the mess and you chose us. And pursued us and loved us. Even when we refused to love you. Lord, words cannot express what that means to us. We know what your love feels like. We know the grace that you have given gracious God, we are here living in this beautiful city, but it is a valley of dry bones. And we ask, Lord, that your power be seen and that we may be so bold as to cry out your name and the compassion that you have shown us. May it flow through us to the people around us. Great God, there is just a sea of need, a a huge, vast ocean of, of people who are waiting to find rescue. And so, Lord, we ask that the power of Jesus Christ be manifested through us and through his kingdom right here in Missoula, especially during this season. Thank you once again, Patricia. Thank you for the fact that you rescued her. And, Lord, thank you so much for the fact that you speak through her. Great God, thank you for all the things you've given us, most of all for Jesus Christ. Be with us throughout the rest of this day. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.